You think that I'm running in place? Y'all really testing my patience. Right before I blow up the spot, I had to get back to the basics. What if my talent is wasted? You see, but I'm lacking a placement. Thoughts as I rap in the basement, but my come up is legend is greatness. Welcome to the Dennis Postuma Show, and I'm your host, Dennis Postuma, and today we have a very special guest, Jim Marshall. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you, and I'm excited to hear about this topic. So let's, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background so everybody knows where you're coming from, if that's okay. Okay. Well, I am the discoverer of hitherto unknown natural phenomena, which greatly aid in the understanding of people from which I constructed a revolutionary practical philosophic system called Septemics, and which I published in the book, Septemics, Hierarchies of Human Phenomena. As for my qualifications, I'm a polymathic intellectual whose areas of expertise include philosophy, psychology, uh, theology, parapsychology, science, engineering, mathematics, law, literature, history, metaphysics, military science, political science, physical culture, education, organization, and music. And I hold a Bachelor of Science cum laude from City University of New York. Wow. That's, that's, that you've definitely paid your dues. So you definitely have the, uh, the background to go into this. Well, tell us a little bit about, first of all, um, what is Septemics? Okay. Septemics is a philosophical science okay. based on the fact that many phenomena related to human beings occur in a sequence of seven levels. Literally, the word septemics means of or pertaining to seven. Okay. Uh, septemics comprises a collection of scales or sequences, each of which breaks down various human phenomena into a hierarchy of seven steps. There are 35 such scales which span the spectrum of human experience, by which I mean any situation which arises in the life of a human can be successfully analyzed by one or more of these scales, okay? Any situation by any human being. So this is universally applicable for humans. Okay. There are 24 scales which apply primarily to individuals and 11 which apply primarily to groups. Okay. Uh, Each of these 35 scales provides the user with an infallible way of determining the salutariness or beneficialness of any group, individual, or activity. If the group, individual, or activity moves persons or groups up these scales, it's beneficial or positive. If it moves them down, it's detrimental or negative. More importantly, just finding out what level you, another person, or some group is at is by itself enlightening or beneficial. In other words, everybody is at some level on every scale. And when you find out what level you're at, you have an epiphany that's extremely beneficial to the person, cognitively, emotionally, and such. And finally, once you know the actual level of a person or group, you can improve that person or group by moving them up one level at a time. Okay. All these advantages represent major steps forward for society. Each of these scales is an axis against which to evaluate or measure human behavior. Combined, they empower one to understand, predict, and manage human affairs to a degree hitherto unattainable by most. 
how did you let me can I start by saying how did you come up with this originally what how did you actually figure out the scalableness and how did how did you come up with this originally right okay well first of all I come from a hard science background sure. okay I was a a natural engineer. So I went to engineering school. And of course, when I entered engineering school, I thought I was going to be engineering airfoils and motors and electrons and things like that. But by the time I graduated, I knew that I really wanted to engineer the human psyche. Because that's the area where we're failing. Yes. The whole society, yeah. all the countries all the institutions are failing miserably in that area. Right. So I eventually became, make a long story short, an, a, a human development engineer, where I work with individual clients, one-on-one, -on -one, hundreds of clients for many thousands of hours over many decades. Okay. I had a long, successful career. All of my clients improved significantly, and the more they worked with me, the more they improved. Now, while this was going on, I started to notice, and I'm talking about many decades ago, that my clients would improve in ways that were predictable to me. Okay. Now, I never told this to anyone, but I made notes. And after a while, I started seeing from my notes and from observing my clients that they were actually going upscales. A guy would come into the session at level four, for example, okay. on one of these. And he would have an epiphany and he would move to level three. And this happened over and over and over and over. And of course, the more it happened, the better I got at what I did. Right. Because I knew what result the guy was going to have before he had it, even though I never told my clients anything. The only thing I ever told my clients was, the time and the date of the session. Wow. That, or maybe something like, uh, you know, don't get drunk the night before and show up hungover, you know, something like that. Right. But other than that, I never told them anything. Even if they asked me directly, you know, what do you think I should do? I would not answer it because I use Socratic dialogue. And if you've read the Socratic dialogues written by Plato, you know, Socrates' genius was enlightening his clients or his the person he was talking to uh by not telling him anything but by eliciting the correct response which is to say by asking the right question now of course i was aided in this by biofeedback which okay. socrates didn't have which only made it faster and easier and more precise for me now by 1995 having done this for many years, I came to realize that I had one scale in particular that I absolutely knew was correct. And in 95, I had a realization that this six level scale actually had a seventh level. Okay. This was a big epiphany for me. When I inserted that seventh level into the six level scale, and at one to seven level scale, it manifested mathematically. Now, having taken 26 semesters of math and loved every minute of it, this spoke to me. Right. I saw what it was. Anything that has natural law embedded in it is 
I'm going to put it another way. Anything that has mathematics embedded in it is natural law. Right. Okay. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So, so when I saw this, this scale, all kinds of implications jumped out at me. Well, that's the point of mathematics. You start with a formula or an equation and you coax it and you get to some new realization. That's how Einstein got E equals MC squared. It was derived mathematically. Right. Okay. So actually the mathematics of it is not particularly complex or revolutionary, even in his time. It's just that he was smart enough to see it. Right. He was smart enough to have this idea and see what where, where it was going. And by working with the, the mathematics, come up with this formula, which of course changed the world. Right. Now, now, this scale then had all of these implications in it. So it, it was no longer linear. It was like a table, okay. like the periodic table of elements. When I saw that, I said, wait a minute, this is big. I wonder how many of these other scales that I have, I had about 32 other scales, actually are seven level scales that have not been developed all the way. Because I wasn't developing anything. Right. I was just taking care of my clients and helping them. So I inspected the other scales and asked myself, do these scales actually have other levels? And because I knew what I was looking for, I was very easily able to find the remaining levels on all of these other scales. And in a short period of time, I had about 32 scales, each of which has seven levels. Now, as each scale went to seven, it manifested mathematically. So before that's where the it, number comes in. That's before it was seven, you couldn't see the mathematics in it. But once it went to seven, it was obvious to me as a mathematician. Sure. So I realized this is a subject. I've stumbled across something. I was like a guy who was walking down the street, minding his business, and found a $100 bill, picked it up, put it in his pocket. <laughs> I'll okay. bet. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then I thought, whoa, okay, I, I have to write a book here because this can really help people. Right. So I realized I could go from helping people by the hundreds to helping people by the millions with this book. Yeah. So I wrote the first version of it was completed in December of 95. And I gave the transcript to brilliant colleagues of mine, all of whom had graduate degrees. And they all had an extremely positive response. And they all said, wow, this is amazing, fantastic, so forth. So that's when I knew, okay, this is what I think it is, and I need to get this to the people of Earth. So I spent the next 25 years of my life working on this book. Wow. Because you realize, first I had to discover the phenomenon. Right. Which mostly was done by 95. However, I did find three more scales as I was writing the book. So the book has 35 scales. Then I had to take these phenomena and I had to craft it into a workable philosophic system. Right. That took about 20 years while I was writing the book. Oh, my gosh. I have to realize that as an engineer, 
like all other engineers, I'm only interested in two things, results and facts. Yep. I have no affinity for opinions or beliefs. Everybody has them and they're not relevant yeah. to engineering. So I was determined to craft a system that was foolproof. Now, the hardest part about this was expressing it in a way that would make sense to the average person. Right. When you read the book, it's not like reading a math book, even though it all comes from math and it's mathematical. I went out of my way to not have that be the focus of it because right. a lot of people don't even like math, let alone understand it. So you don't get that sense very much when you're reading the book. But for example, what I got first was the scales. The scales just fell out in front of me, okay, yeah. through my work. So this was all empirically derived. There's no theory of septemics. It's all empirical. It's just like a guy, you know, a botanist who goes around, he finds a plant. Oh, nobody discovered this plant before, you know? So he fits it into uh, the array of botanical categories, you know? It's got to right. fit it in. So, for example, each of these 35 scales has an axis. In other words, it's measuring something. Okay. If you have seven levels, what are these levels measuring? So I had to figure that out. And right. in, in some cases, that was difficult. I'll give you an example. There's a scale of equanimity. Equanimity is is absolutely critical to any interrelationships between people of any kind. Okay. The reason why people fight with one another is because one or both of them lack equanimity. Uh, the best example of this is Adolf Hitler. You see him screaming and yelling, you know, and having all these rages. Uh, he had virtually no equanimity. If you did something he didn't like, he had you killed. Right. Okay. On the other end of the spectrum is Jesus of Nazareth, who on the cross said, Father, forgive them. So he had complete equanimity. Right. Okay. Even the fact that they were torturing him to death did not uh, cause him to lose his equanimity. So there's a scale. There are seven levels. But I did not know that this was a scale of equanimity, because if you look at the actual levels in the book, they read like levels of maturity. Okay. See, when a person likes equanimity, it manifests in what the average person would call maturity. So like if a teenager, you know, loses their, this temper over something trivial like cleaning his room, we say, well, he's immature. But actually, underneath that is a lack of equanimity. Okay, so he's only at a certain so, level. It took me a long time to figure out, many years to figure out that that was a scale of equanimity. That's fascinating. And this had, to be, this had to be done 35 times. Now, I told you a minute ago about the six-level scale into which I inserted a seventh level, which was really the birth of Septemex. That scale is called the scale of basic purposes. Okay. I did not know until just a few years ago that that was a scale of basic purposes. I had that scale for about 23 years studying it, working with it, rewriting it until I figured out what axis this was. You see? Because I had the scale, but I didn't have the axis. 
So the name of the scale is the axis. That makes sense. <laughs> because it's a scale of basic purposes, you see? Right. I didn't know it was a scale of basic purposes. So I was calling it something else because, you know, you look at something, you say, what is this thing? What is this thing measuring? You see? Right. So I had to develop all of that. Now realize there are 35 scales, each of which has seven levels. That's 245 different levels. Oh my God. Each of which had each of which had to be verified and more importantly expressed in a way that would make sense to the average reader. That's how so how do you take that? How do you take that and 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 help oneself with septemics with knowing oh, that? Okay. Okay. So let me just finish my thought. Okay. Uh, sorry about expressing it in a way that makes okay. sense. But I'll give you an example. The scale of sexuality. Okay, okay. level two on that scale, which is a scale that most people never, a level that most people never get to. Okay. I call take it or leave it. Now you could say, well, what kind of a title is that for a level? And the reason I called it that is it explains it perfectly. Right. If, I, if you ask me, you know, do you like hockey? And I say, well, I can take it or leave it. You know exactly what I mean. There are people whose attitude towards sex is so uh, enlightened that they can take it or leave it. You know, it's like if, they, if the girl wants to go out with them, it's fine. And if she doesn't, it's fine too. Take it or leave it. Okay. So very good explanation. <laughs> yeah. That okay. So I had sense. to do that. I had to do something like that 245 different times. My God. You see, to yeah. express it in a way that would connect with the reader. So, and it, let me answer your question now okay. about uh, how it's significant. Okay? okay, the data in this book are vital <clears throat> for every human being and can help you to achieve your goals faster and easier by explaining what might otherwise seem to be inexplicable or random. If someone were to invite you to a rendezvous, you would certainly expect them to tell you the time and the date, <coughs> the exact location, and perhaps also how to get there. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Needless to say, it's very difficult to get somewhere. If you don't know where you are, where you're going, or how to get to your destination, Excuse me. Now, well, this sounds idiotic, but people do this regularly. Right. Most people do not know with any real specificity where they are, where they're going, or how to get there. And this book absolutely solves that across 35 axes of human phenomena. Now, each scale is unique. You cannot infer anything about scale A by studying scale B. You cannot infer anything about scale B by studying scale E, okay? This is good because since each scale is unique, they span the spectrum of human experience. Okay. And that is why I already know from observing this material in action for 27 years 
There's no situation that's going to come up to a human being that's not going to be analyzed by one or more of these scales. In most cases, it's more than one scale. So that's that's fascinating. Okay. So you so you can even like somebody because I like what you're saying about goals and and using the scales for that because nobody a lot of people do not know where they're going. So you're saying with that's right. Topics, you can take that and use the scales to literally analyze that entire situation and get them there and figure out where they're going. I love that. Yes. Yes. Because, because one of the axioms of this subject is that you cannot skip a level. Okay. It's impossible. So just think of it this way. Think of it this way. Let's say you're on the first floor and you want to go to the fifth floor. One way or another, you're going to have to go through the second, the third, and the fourth whether you take the escalator, the elevator, the stairs, or go outside the building and use a rope ladder, right? You're going to go through them. Now, in rare occasions, you might go through a level fast enough or easy enough that you're not aware that you did it. Sure. But that doesn't mean you didn't go through it. It just means you weren't aware of going through it. So this is good news. Yeah. Because... Because I have solved one of the oldest and most pernicious problems that human beings have, which is the gradient problem. Think of it this way. Nobody can lose 100 pounds, but you can lose one pound 100 times. Okay? Yeah. Every good teacher, facilitator, coach, psychotherapist, and so forth in the world understands gradients. That's why they're successful. Yeah. Okay. So I've worked as a trainer. Okay. Say you come to me and say, you want me to train you. I'm not just going to give you hundred pounds and say, go lift this. That's bad training. Okay. Yeah. I have to find the gradients. I have to say, okay, let's see how much you can curl. Try this 15 pounds. And you might say, oh, this is too easy. I can do 50 of these. Okay, good. Let's try 20. Okay, so eventually we're going to find an amount where you say, okay, this is a little challenging. I can do, let's say, 12 of these. I say, good. Okay, let's have you do 12 every day. Okay, that's good training. That's how I work with my clients. I was always getting the right gradient, asking the right question, and asking him to do something that he could do. Now, the way this fits with septemics is, If a person is at a specific level, he will be able to go to a level just above. He will be able to do that. If he's, let's say, level five, and you try to move him to level three, two, or one, you will fail. It's too steep a gradient. Somebody comes to me and says, Jim, I'm 100 pounds overweight. Get me in shape. I could take them on as a client. I'm not going to tell them to go out and run five miles. Okay? First of all, he's probably not going to do it. Right. Definitely, even if he tried to do it, he probably wouldn't be able to do it. And even if he did do it, he would be sore and he would be mad at me. And okay? discouragement so, would set in. And yeah. That's right. So yeah. I might say to him, okay, let's have you start walking a mile a day. Okay? And then at the end of the week, I'd see how he's doing. And if he says, you know, this is pretty easy for me now. It was hard at first, but I, I'd say, okay, let's try two miles. So that's how you help people by the gradient. So now the fact that there are only seven levels is good because you're not choosing from thousands of choices. 
If I stop some guy on the street and I say, what's your wife's motivation toward you? He's going to look at me like I'm from Mars. He's going to say, what the hell are you talking about? How could I possibly know that? There are thousands and thousands of possible motivations. But in the scale of motivation, I have done the heavy lifting of working out what the seven levels are. There are only seven basic motivations. Once you know that, it's not hard because you're only choosing from among seven. Right. So what happens to the reader is we find a scale that's relevant. You know, let's say a guy saying, I'm going out with this girl and I don't know if she loves me or if she just wants to marry me because I'm rich. So I would say, let's look at the scale of motivation. Where is she on this scale? You see? And he would, well, first what would happen is probably in a matter of seconds, he'd say, well, she's either at four or five. And then I'd say, okay, good. Let's study the text. Let's look at this more and see if you can narrow it down. And he will be able to get it to a specific level. Then I'll say, ah, I see. Okay, well, her motives toward me are not that great. So I'm not putting her on the short list. Okay. Yeah. So, so now what could be more important than knowing someone's motivation? Yeah. That's you an enormous amount. Okay. That's one of 35 axes. How is that not being uh, used everywhere? Because it's new. I discovered yeah. it. The book has been out a year and a half. And it's hard to get anyone to pay any attention to a new subject. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. I'll okay. tell you exactly why. First of all, most people don't read books. Right. Of the people who do read books, most of them read fiction books. Of the ones who read nonfiction books, the overwhelming majority of them, maybe 80 or 90%, are in a specific niche, meaning psychologists read psychology books, mathematicians read mathematics books, historians read history books, and so forth. This book does not fit into any of those slots. All of those subjects fit into this book. So it's hard to get somebody to look at something that's new, Right. That is the essence of being revolutionary. Right. Right. Like when Einstein came out with the theory of relativity in 1905, the physics world sort of embraced it little by little, but it took a long time for it to become taught everywhere, used everywhere, accepted everywhere, to be universally accepted. Another good example is the heliocentric theory. The heliocentric theory was originally uh, propounded by an ancient Greek, Greek whose name eludes me at this time, at the moment. Uh, but it didn't catch on until 1700 years later when Copernicus propounded it. Now, of course, this was a big problem. Galileo was put in under house arrest for the rest of his life because he propounded the Copernican theory. Of course, he was 100% right, but the Catholic Church did not want that data to get out. And so they, at that time, there was no separation of church and state. He's lucky they didn't kill him. Yeah. Knowing the history. I mean, this was heresy. Yeah. So it's not easy to get something new to get used by anyone. I'm you just see, thinking, those are the 
Yeah, I'm just thinking of how useful that be that would be like for coaches and for them to be able to utilize or even anybody in employment for be able to utilize even just sharing that. Absolutely. Piece. It's applicable to Absolutely. everybody because of finding out their motivation and moving their levels. I mean, that's amazing. Right. So let me give you another example. Okay. I know, I'm not saying think I know. I'm not saying guess. I know the way I know the Pythagorean theorem or the formula for the area of a circle, the basic purpose of every president of the United States, going back as far as Franklin Delano Roosevelt and many of the presidents prior to that, such as Lincoln and Jefferson and Washington, who I've studied at great length, okay? This is precise. Now, for me, knowing this material, you have to realize that even before I started writing the book, even before I got them all to go to seven levels, I was using this material. So I've been using this data to some degree, really most of my adult life. Right. So to me now, it's second nature. I look at a person and 10 or 15 seconds, I can see him on a certain level in a certain scale. So I'll talk to a guy and from the way he's speaking to me, I can tell where he is on the scale of literacy. It comes right out of his mouth. Right. It's no mystery. You see, it's extremely user-friendly. Let me read to you, if I may, the yeah, names absolutely. of the 35 scales. So you'll know what material is covered in this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. These are the individual scales of which there are 24. The scale of basic purposes, the scale of personal influence, the scale of choice, the scale of permeation, the scale of thought, the scale of identity, the scale of evaluation the scale of motivation, the scale of control, the scale of stopping, the scale of scholarship, the scale of literacy, the scale of human ability, the scale of memory, the scale of spiritual identity, the scale of mental deletion, the scale of aberration, the scale of physical fitness, the scale of justification, the scale of belief, the scale of equanimity, the scale of attack, the scale of conflict, and the scale of reaction. And these are the group scales scale of relationships, scale of life spheres, the scale of government, the scale of civilization, the scale of survival, the scale of management, the scale of exchange, the scale of communication, the scale of allegiance, the scale of sexuality, and the scale of politics. And since each one of these is unique, you can sort of gather that I've covered all human phenomena. Right. Now, there may be other scales that I don't know of. But these are the ones I found in all the years that I've been working on it. And I, I, after I had worked on the book for 25 years, I said, I'm not going to live forever. I'm going to publish this book. Wait. Yeah. Okay. So you have to realize the problem that I had in conveying this. That's the real hard part. This yeah. is an 86,000 word book. So I had to go through it literally word by word asking myself, how will this be interpreted or comprehended or viewed by the reader? Right. And expressing it in a way that I was sure would make sense to the average reader. Uh, so one of the things I did in, in many of the rewrites of this book, because I kept rewriting it to try to make it user-friendly, right. is I put glossaries. There's a glossary not only in front of each of the 35 chapters, but there's even a glossary in front of the introduction. 
So I tell everybody what specificity, what definition I'm using in every level of every scale and the names of the scales and certain other terms that come up that I thought some people might not know. So by doing that, I am uh, reducing the semantic barrier that a lot of people are going to have. Now, of course, people who are very well-read and very scholarly and learned won't need the glossaries too much, but it's still important because, for example, there's a scale of communication. Right. Well, if you look up the word communication, there's something like, depending on what dictionary you look in, 30 or 35 different definitions of communication. So a person can reasonably ask, what definition is this guy using of communication? Right. So I give a precise definition that's not long. So you know exactly right. what I mean when I see the scale of communication. And every name of every level is like that. I tell you exactly what I mean. So the result of this is these scales wrap around the reader. In other words, when you look at these scales, they jump off the page at you. It's like looking in a mirror. It's like putting on spectacles that you never had before and looking in a mirror because you see yourself with clarity. Right. Also, you can use those same spectacles to look at other people. So, for example, you can say, what is my motivation toward my son? What is my motivation toward my boss? What is my motivation toward my girlfriend? Right. But you can also ask, what is my girlfriend's motivation toward me? What is my boss's motivation toward me? What is my father's motivation toward me? You see? Yeah. And, and if you can get it, it clarifies the whole relationship. You know what's going on. You know what this is about. Does it ever scare you when you find out the motivation when you're looking at it, Jim? <laughs> I mean, because uh, now you've got no, more knowledge. No, no, I wouldn't say it scares me, but it's an eye-opener sometimes. Enlightening. It's sort of like, basically, what happens with this book is when a person uses it, meaning he uses the scale to either find his level, either generally or specifically, or to find somebody else's level. Usually it's like a relief. Ah, now I understand. Yeah. You know, let's say a guy has uh, a mother, okay, who's malicious. Yeah. And he finds her motivation on the scale. He says, yeah, I can see she's at this level. That explains why she treats me that way. And it will clarify his mind and he will have a big realization. And after that, that he will have less trouble dealing with this person because right. he knows what she's about. So this is useful across the board in any context yeah. in understanding people. I think, I mean, have you tried at all, like getting us into colleges or utilizing it and, or having a curriculum for like, for coaches or certification or using it that way? Is that, because <laughs> I, mean, I think that well, would be... First of all, first of all, you have to realize, as I said, this is a new subject. It's difficult to get people to pay attention to a new subject. Sure. Now, if I explain it to someone the way I'm explaining it to you, people say, oh, I see. Okay, I'm going to read this one. That's pretty much what happens. I should also tell you that the general response that I get from people who actually read the book is something like, this blew my mind. Yeah. Now, I don't speak that way. I would never use that phraseology. 
but that's what they tell me commonly, okay? I say, wow, this explains so much. Yeah. Yeah, like, for example, the scale of government. You know, everybody's talking about left and right all the time, right? On the left and on the right. That's absolutely arbitrary. There is no left or right. That's just made up. But there is an up and a down. And if you look at the scale of the government, I tell you what the up and the down is. And I also tell you how it corresponds to the populace. So it really makes it easy to look at a country or a group of people and understand what their government is really about and why. That's amazing. Why it's that way. How do how do people get a hold of the book and your content? What's the best way to like? Can they they purchase? Well, that? well, I invite all of your viewers to my website, which is septemics.com, S-E-P-T-E-M-I-C-S.com, because there you can see what many readers have said about it, what many journalists have written about it, what the reviews are, and you can read sections of the book to see the quality of the writing. Uh, that's the best way because after you do that, that's kind of an intro to the book. And then I suggest that you invest in it. There's a hardbound, a softbound, and an ebook. And the ebook, of course, is the least expensive. Ebooks don't cost a lot. So for a very small investment, you can completely improve your life. You can drastically improve your situation. And the beauty of it is because of the way I constructed this book. Once you have the book, you don't need anything else except maybe a dictionary. Yeah. But I would say that about any book. I've right. been involved in education on both sides my entire life since I was three years old. And I would never attempt to teach anything to anyone of any subject without having a dictionary handy. Now, of course, the good news is now everybody has one on his phone. Right. So that, that but... Before that, when I was younger, I carried an unabridged dictionary with me everywhere I went for 15 years. So that anytime I came across a word, I could look it up and find out what it means. And in doing so, my literacy improved. And of course, when your literacy improves, it makes it easier for you to grasp anything. Right. So... In a sense, I taught myself how to learn. I made myself a better scholar. Now, I was a good scholar when I was a kid, but I just got better and better and better at it. And so I was able to master these subjects fairly easily. And had you Uh, not, you would have never been able to come up with this entire process. (laughs) That's exactly right. If I were not a polymathic intellectual, I would not have seen this. I might have noted the phenomena, but not had enough insight into it to see what this really was, that I had discovered a new subject. So, yes, I think that's probably why the combination of the career that I had in helping people one-on-one, plus my polymathic background, those two things suited me to figure out what this was, to discover it. And so now my mission is just to get it out to people. Absolutely. So hope, hopefully the day will come when 
I'm not the only expert on this subject in the world. And hopefully the day will come where it'll be accepted into curricula at various institutions. Uh, I would be happy to teach the subject, uh, but you know it's very, very hard to get anyone in any institution to accept anything that's new. I don't know if you know how conservative these people are. You know, it's it's very difficult. And the system has uh, been broken for so long. It's that's right. They don't want to hear it. And they definitely don't want to know that somebody figured it out, right? Yes, because it gets into ego. Yeah. Because an insecure person is going to say, gee, this guy must be pretty smart to figure this out. I don't want people to find out about him because next to him, I look like an idiot. Yeah. So even though I have letters after my name, PhD or whatever, so they don't want that to be found out about. And if you study the history of great discoveries, that's the rule rather than the exception. Einstein was, was he was simply a clerk in the patent office, yeah. okay? One of the greatest geniuses of all time, okay? Uh, and this is true for many people. That's why I have often said, most of the copies of this book will sell after my death. Yeah. Because this is a grassroots book. I already know from 27 years of observation that anybody who masters this book will have an impact on society because he will not keep it to himself. Yeah. He will necessarily use it. So for example, let's say you have a parent, right? And he sees his kid is having trouble in school. He knows there's a scale of scholarship. So let's say the kid is 12 or 13, right? He'll say, come here, Johnny, sit down. Look at this glossary. And the kid says, okay, I, I read it. Now look at this scale. And he reads the scale of scholarship. Now what's going to happen is in seconds after he reads it, he's going to say, he's going to find a bracket. He's going to say, well, I can see I'm definitely not near the top of this scale. I may be down around four or five. Then you say, great, let's have you read the text and find out exactly what level you're at. And so you have to work with him. Don't tell him. Right. He has to find it himself. Because when he finds it himself, he will have an epiphany. He'll feel great about it. He'll say, ah, oh, I see. I'm at level five. No wonder I'm not a good student. Yeah. And then you say, okay. Let's move you to level four. And he will be able to do that. So this yeah. parent just helped the kid. All right? Yeah. And then he could go to a level three and then a level two and then exactly. move up Once the scale you one at a time. Level, you can move to the next level. I have been doing that on myself for many decades. Yeah. I push myself up a level. I stabilize at that level and I say, okay, now I can go to the next level. So, you know, because of this, my life is qualitatively better than it used to be. You know, when I was a young person, this subject didn't exist. So I made the same stupid mistakes that everybody else made. Sure. But it now, at this point in my life, that is impossible. I cannot and will not make those same mistakes. So I want to tell your listeners, guarantee. This subject can prevent catastrophes, disasters, divorces, bankruptcies, indictments, and all kinds of other bad things. Because 
When you use this material to analyze other people, it tells you what that person is about. And therefore, you can say, okay, I don't want this guy around me. And you move on to the next person. See? Because when I was young, I was around people who, in retrospect, I shouldn't have been around. Right. Because I didn't understand this. You see, because people who are low on these scales, okay, at or near the bottom, are secretive about it. They don't want you to know that they're in these nether positions. Because if you read the scales, the bottom levels are not pleasant. You know, they're, they're unpleasant states. There are people in those levels. And those are the people who cause most of the trouble in society. Wow. So, for example, the scale of basic purposes, okay? Hitler's basic purpose was to destroy. Right. Now, that's hard for many people to grasp. Most people say, well, he, he made mistakes. You know, he wasn't well-educated. Uh, you know, they kind of try to rationalize. But if you actually study him, which I did at great length, he did destructive people, not just to the enemies, not just to the allies, to his own army, to his own assistance, to his own nation. And the more you study it, the more obvious it was he was inherently destructive. Yeah. And there are many, I think something like 22 conspiracies to kill him. And none of them succeeded, although one of them came close. And he was just lucky enough to survive it. But... So the people around him who were smart and ethical and upscale, see, at or near the top of these scales, they saw it. Like, for example, Erwin Rommel, the great general. Erwin Rommel was not a bad person. Right. He was a very smart, and he was executed, killed surreptitiously by the Nazis because he was involved in a plot to get rid of Hitler, and they found out about it. So if Erwin Rommel were the head of Germany, we probably wouldn't have had World War II. That's amazing to discover that. That's, I, so so well, that's why I say if the people of Germany had this book in 1933, the Nazis never would have come to power because they would have seen that the man who led them was destructive and that the the tone of his group was destructive. Right. Okay. So the Nazis in 1933 got 37% of the vote, which was a plurality, which is how they came to power. If people had this book, they never would have gotten 37%. Maybe they would have gotten some votes. You know who would have voted for them? Psychopaths, sociopaths, criminals, narcissists, uh, crazy people, corrupt people. They would have voted for them. But that's not 37%. Right. That's a lot less than 37%. So another party would have had the plurality. So that's why I say uh, this book, if you just use it for that, it's more than worth the investment. Because you can look at a person and really see what is this person's motivation? What is this person's basic purpose? Uh, what is this person's ability to permeate? The permeation is what causes love. There are people I know who I can see, they're not bad people, they're not even stupid people. 
they just can't permeate very much. There's not a lot of, and because of that, it's hard for them to have loving relationships or bonding relationships, okay? So when I look at that, I understand this about the person. I see the person is low on the scale of permeation. I understand that. So I don't just dismiss the person and just say, well, you know, that's where he's at. Right. So the rule is you never, never tell anyone his level or never tell any, never tell the level of any living person. Okay. I, for example, I know the basic purpose of Obama, of Bill Clinton, of George W. Bush. I'm not telling that to anyone. Okay. Right. It's not ethical. It doesn't help to do that. Now, if somebody wants to come along and read the book, he'll be able to figure it out for himself rather than me enforcing it on him. Because people don't like to be told those things. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's why you can help other people with this book. So even if you don't really need it, that will be a very, very small group of people. Uh, maybe 2% of the population, though even those 2% are going to have friends and relatives yeah. and in-laws and employees and bosses and associates who can be helped by this or who, that you, who you can use to help yourself understand them. So even right. if you can't get them to look at it, you can know what it is. What level they're so, at, where it can help you understand them. Which so what, I have a friend, it. a friend, for example, friend from Zoe, very well-educated person, has three college degrees, okay? Successful, okay? Um, but I know this person's basic purpose, okay? So that enlightens me what this person is about. Because right. the basic purpose tells you, what is this person trying to do? Trying to do. Right. So... Because of that, I understand this person and I have a full perspective of this person. So, so uh, you know, you can say it's a limitation, but that is the essence of science. For example, uh, if you study botany, you find out that a rose is closer to an apple than it is to a tulip. A rose is in the family of the apple. The rose bush and the apple tree are very close. Whereas the tulip is completely different. There's no tulip bush or tree. It grows from a bulb. It's completely different. Okay? So somebody who knows botany will understand that. And so if you ask somebody who doesn't know it, they'll say, oh, a rose has more in common with a tulip than it does with an apple. No, botanically, that's not true. Even though they're both flowers. Okay? They're, they're very different from one another. Roses can't grow from a bulb. There is no such thing as a rose bulb. Okay? So, yeah. so it enlightens you, except it's about people. And it's not only about individuals. It's about groups, too. That's, that, to me, this is, this is like the missing tool of so many things. And I, are you looking, if somebody... So if somebody resonates with this, Jim, do you are you looking to mentor people, to teach people this, and to try to spread the word as much as possible? Well, let me say this. I don't know what you mean by looking. 
uh, what I've been doing so far is first I had to get the book out. Okay. Yeah. Then I worked on, worked on getting reviews and publicity and such. And I, there's plenty of that. Uh, and then I've been doing interviews. So, you know, interviews are time consuming because there's before and the after and the interview itself. Yeah. And so uh, that's what I'm doing now. And since they go very well, the way this is going, I'm continuing that. Yeah. And I'm hoping people get the book. So what I tell to clients and associates and friends, anybody who's interested, what I tell them is get the book, study it as a textbook, which is what it is. It's a textbook on a new subject. Right. So study it the way you would study a biology text, a chemistry text, a math text, an economics text. You start the first line of the first page and you go through plottingly, making sure you read all the glossaries, making sure you understand everything. Okay. And after you get to the end, go back to the beginning and read it again and then find your level on every scale. Okay. And by the time you know your level on 35 scales, and again, realize that's a limited usage of the book. By the time you do that, you will be a dramatically enhanced person. You will understand. And I have to tell you, there's going to be a tendency when you get uh, a certain scale to use it a lot. For example, you could look at the scale of literacy and you can see, well, William F. Buckley, for example, whether or not you agree with anything he said, was an extremely literate person, okay? And you could look at like somebody like George W. Bush and say, well, he's not as high on that scale. Right. So there's a tendency when you get a scale to sort of go to town with it and, <laughs> and use it like that, which is fine. I mean, that's okay. But I'm just saying, if you just use it on yourself across 35 axes, you will be a new person at the end of that. And then you can start using it on others. Now you have to realize there are general scales and specific scales. The scale of basic purposes is a general scale. Most people, I would say more than 80, maybe 90% people, easily 90%, live their whole lives at one level of that scale. The person has a specific basic purpose and it never changes to the person's life. That is the norm. Okay. There are occasions where a person goes up or goes down. That's rare. That's a general scale. As opposed to the scale of evaluation. The scale of evaluation changes very quickly. For example, your evaluation of me has probably changed since we started doing this. Because I was an unknown to you. Right. You see? So you yeah. have probably gone up a little bit in the scale of evaluation. Everybody comes into that scale at level four, which is neutrality. And very quickly you go up or go down. Say yeah. you take some guy who doesn't know anything about baseball, has never been to the United States, has never seen, you take him to a baseball game, okay? So he walks in, he doesn't know anything. So as he's watching that game, he, he, you know, either his evaluation is gonna go up or go down. He might say, oh yeah, this is interesting. I said, it's fun, you know? So he just went up a little bit. Or he might say, this is boring, get me out of here. He went down the scale. So that's an example of a scale that's extremely volatile. So that's something that changes quickly and easily, as opposed to the scale of spiritual identity. That is a very uh, 
steady condition. Person is at a certain level on the scale of spiritual identity. And if he works at it, he might be able to move up a level. Okay. Uh, now, of course, the book is full of examples of all of these things. There are many, many examples. Every chapter I give concrete examples. So you can look at it and say, oh, I see. For example, uh, level two of the scale of basic purposes is the leader. The basic purpose of the leader is conquest. And you can say, wait a minute, conquest is not a good thing. And I say, wait a minute, it's a question of whose ox is being gored. You see, Lincoln was a leader and he was determined to conquer the Confederacy. Right. He got almost no help from that until he discovered an obscure general named Grant who finally fought for him. Grant and Sherman, who very good friends, those two generals won the war for him, okay? But so that was a good conquest. Yeah. It was a good conquest, certainly for all of the slaves who were freed because right after winning the war, Lincoln pushed through the 13th Amendment, which made slavery unconstitutional throughout the United States. That was all part of it for him. So this would no longer be an issue. It was a done deal forever. Okay, so that was a good conquest. Yeah. Or you can look at Winston Churchill. He was a leader. It was he more than any other single person who beat the Nazis. He was saying for 10 years, we have to stop the war. Until he finally came to power and I guarantee you, from my knowledge of military science and history, if, if, if Churchill had not become prime minister, the English would have given up. They would have surrendered. Because the Nazis wanted them to surrender. The right. Nazis did not hate the English. They did not even want to fight the English. Okay? They were kind of surprised that the English declared war as a result of the Germans attacking Poland. Yeah. So, so there would have been, I guarantee you, because there was this was discussed for years on both sides, a peace treaty, okay? That would have allowed the Nazis to stay in existence. <laughs> um, Churchill said, no, these people have to be stopped. We will never surrender. Okay, and that is what enabled the English to withstand the Battle of Britain and all the other sufferings that they had, the V2 rockets and everything else. It was because of his leadership. So conquering the Nazis and the Axis power in general was a good conquest, right. even for the people in Japan and Italy and Germany. It was a good thing. Look at how those countries flourished yeah. after we defeated them, right? Japan and Germany became rich, advanced nations, okay? Italy was kind of a mess even before, and it is still kind of a mess, but not the way it was under Mussolini. So it was a good conquest. So, you know, you kind of have to, when you look at the leverage, you have to really put it in context. Think about right. it. So Alexander Hamilton, for example, was a leader. And if you study his life, it's obvious. It's not subtle, okay? 
Thomas Jefferson was not a leader. He was a winner. The, the purpose of the winner is wealth. Okay? Hamilton risked his life over and over and over and eventually was killed by an opposing politician because of it. Right. Now, yeah. these two men did not get along. Okay? Is they it rare both, for a winner and a leader to get along? It's rare for people at any course, uh, conflicting level to get along. Oh, okay. For example, if you're at level three, which is normal, you tend not to get along with winners or leaders or saints, which are levels three, two, and one. You tend to get along with the people in your level because they have the same basic purpose as you. Yeah. You see? So this explains why you have people that lead their lives a certain way. Like I know a guy who's a winner. He lives in a mansion. You know, he has all this money. He does whatever he wants. That's important to him. Okay. He wants to show everybody that he, you know, is a wealthy person. That's, that's his thing. Okay. I'm not interested in that. I'm happy to drive a Ford. Gets me from point A to point B. Right. I don't need a Lamborghini. So if somebody gave me a Lamborghini, I'd probably just turn around and sell it. Yeah. And donate some of the money to some charity. I've been supporting charities since I was a child. And I'm still doing it. Yeah. Okay. But so when the, when the English finally got to Jefferson's home, which was far inland, he fled. He ran away. He didn't fight them. Yeah. So these two men are very different from one another. Okay. So that conflict was there from day one. So if you study the whole revolutionary period going all the way up to the Constitution, there's a whole period there of about 10 years. And even going beyond it, you can see that conflict was there. Right. So they... They, uh, Jefferson had more dislike of Hamilton than Hamilton had of Jefferson because the leader is down for the struggle. The leader is willing to die for what's right. He's not going to knuckle under. The winner is not like that. The winner, you know, he wants to keep his mansion, his Lamborghini, his yacht, his Learjet, you know, and his 27 girlfriends. Yeah. He wants that, okay? So he's not going to risk all of that to conquer something. Yeah. Different type of person. I'm not criticizing either one. I'm just saying that's the way it is. So I love the understanding I, of it. I appreciate the understanding right. and finding that. Yeah. So Washington was also a winner. He was probably the richest man in America, okay? And after the war, he resigned and went home, okay? He was not into conquest. He yeah. did what he had to do, and then he said, okay, that's enough. The Hamilton practically had to twist his arm to get him to be president. Yeah. He had to go to him because they were close, okay? They were... Best buddies, okay, even though there's an age difference, they were very close. 
and he had to talk him into it. So Washington just wanted to stay at his palatial estate. You know, he was a farmer and he a businessman, you know, that's what he wanted. But he said, oh, okay, you want me to be president? Okay, I'll do it. You see, he yeah. didn't jump at it. He did it begrudgingly, okay? And after two terms, first of all, a lot of people want to make him king. He said, absolutely not. Not interested. Yeah. Then they had to talk him into running, a, running again for a second term. And then after the second term, they wanted him for a third term. And he said, no. I'm done. No. <laughs> Get somebody else, okay? Because he was a winner. Yeah. You see? That makes sense. So it makes perfect sense in the context. So when you study a person and you know his basic purpose, and believe me, trust me, once you know the material, it's not hard. People yeah. tell you right out of their mouths where they are on these different levels. So like I'll look at some guy on the internet, right? Some guy who's speaking. That's something I do every day. Every day I watch educational lectures, question and answer interviews with people with graduate degrees. That's my idea of fun. And I can see where this guy is on the scale of scholarship. See, most of them are very high on the scale of scholarship. Right. That's why I like to listen to them. You see, uh, as opposed to, I used to be an athlete and, an, and a sports fan. Uh, you listen to uh, athletes talk. I don't want to hear athletes talk. Yeah. I don't learn anything from athletes. N none of them are scholars. None of them are well-educated. You know. And the majority is getting worse. Yeah. Even the ones who go through college, most of those colleges, if they have a guy who has real talent, they'll fix it so that he can get through the college, <laughs> taking basket weaving, you know, or, or some yeah. simple things, okay, and getting by with a D. Yeah. And there's also corruption there where, you know, they'll give the teacher an extra 200 bucks past this guy. So, they're low on the scale of scholarship. Yeah. And most of them are low on the scale of literacy. Yeah. Okay. So, for example, I was a big fan of Derek Cheater. Okay. I liked everything about him. But I listened to him speak many times. He was a lot smarter than most athletes. But he's not somebody I particularly want to listen to. I would rather listen to Henry Kissinger, who's brilliant. Right. Okay. Or Dr. Jordan Peterson, brilliant person. Yeah, okay. for sure. They're, yeah. High, they're high on the scale of literacy and scholarship. Yeah. Okay. So, so I can listen to somebody and figure out where he is on any one of many scales. And therefore, I can make a determination. So I can talk to this person for, let's say, 10 minutes and see where that person is at. And make a decision, do I want this person in my life or not? Right. And believe me, that was extremely helpful to me throughout my life. As far as knowing who to hire, yeah. knowing who to fire. And I'll tell you a story. Many years ago, I had two women who were both trying to get the same position. I had many people apply. I narrowed it down to two. Okay. 
And they both had very similar skills in the area. So finally, I made my decision and I invited them both over so that I can tell them person to person who I'm using and why. So the first young lady comes in and I said, you're a very talented person, but I'm not gonna hire you for this position. She was shocked. And somehow it came up that I was hiring this other person who it turned out she knew, which was news to me. Right. Okay. She said, literally, she said to me, you mean you're hiring her instead of me? And what I didn't say to her is, the reason I'm hiring her instead of you is your attitude. I could see that I was going to have trouble with this person, okay, because her attitude. It's true. She was a highly skilled, highly qualified person, but I didn't want somebody with that attitude. So the second person came, came a little early, just before the first person was leaving, okay, and they said, hi, how are you? You know, it's interesting that we both went for the same job. So the other girl, the second girl comes in, I said, you have the job. She was enthused. And that young lady worked for me for about a year and a half. She was perfect. Perfect. I never had one difficulty with her, ever. She followed all the rules. She was always on time. She had a good attitude. We stayed friends after she left the job, you know. It was like a perfect call. And I saved myself a lot of heartache in hiring yeah. this other person who is just as talented and got a tremendous benefit from hiring somebody who I could see was high on many of these scales. You see? Yeah. Even before I had the subject, remember I told you, I was developing these scales before I ever got the idea of writing the book. So I knew a lot of this information yeah. in a sort of informal way. And so that's just an example. Also, you have to realize how easy this is to use. I'll tell yeah. you a story. 20 years ago, when I was writing the early version of this book, I was, uh, it was sort of in a transcript. Okay? I was, so I was talking to a buddy of mine about politics and government. I said, wait a minute, let me show you something. So I opened the transcript to the scale of government. And I just handed it to him. I didn't say a word. So he took it. He looked at it. And in about two seconds, literally two seconds, he pointed. He said, right there. I'm right there. He found his level on that scale without my even suggesting that that's what you were supposed to do with it. Wow. You see? That's what happens. And I'll tell you why. And then we have to stop. Yeah. Each one of these scales is expressed in what you might call a table or a spreadsheet. Okay. So each one of them is similar to or comparable to the periodic table of elements. Now, before Dmitry Mendeleev invented the periodic table, there was chemistry, but he revolutionized it right. by taking all the known elements, putting them in the correct position horizontally and vertically so you could understand. You know, the metals go here, the inerts go here, and it makes sense. So he made it easy to teach, to learn, and to understand chemistry. That is what these scales do across 35 axes of human phenomena. When you look at any one of these, it jumps out at you. 
It's like looking in a mirror and you say, yes, I see this. I get it. No wonder I didn't go to college. I'm very low on the scale of scholarship. Or no wonder I never got married. I'm very low on the scale of sexuality. Or whatever it is. I love it. I, yeah. I honestly can't wait to get the book. I, I'm, this, is, this is very exciting to me. I, can't, I, I wish I would have seen it 20 years ago, obviously. But at least I get to see it now. So, I, uh, yes. so just go to your website, and it's somatics.com. And yeah, sorry. Check it out, and we will go there. Um, anything else we missed today, Jim? I appreciate it. It's easy so to get much. the Easy to get the book. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. If you just type the word Septemics into a search engine, you'll get hundreds of responses, including all the people who are selling the book. So it's easy to get. Okay. Well, I look forward to to talking more on this. Um, Okay. I appreciate it so much, Jim. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. And I look forward to talking more. Thank you. Have a nice day. You too. Okay. Bye. Look, I am just a man on a mission. If I want it, then I get it. I go. And if you're trying to test me a beast, you gon' need Liam Neeson. The chance that you're taking is flagrant. You're testing your luck. If you think you'll make it out, then you're sadly mistaken.